Dan Patrick talks 90s jazz. The finals. John Stockton, Carmelone covering those teams for ESPN Sports Center. He was post-game with Dr. Jack Ramsey. And I couldn't think of someone who'd be better to talk about that time period as the podcast prepares for the 50th season of jazz basketball. It's this year, and it's almost here. It's Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, Equal Housing Lender. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but the details were released today about how The Note will return as the history of the Utah Jazz. It's going to highlight that throughout the year, taking you back through the history of the franchise, bringing in new people, characters. I talked to John Stockton, Jeff Hornacek, Jeff Van Gundy, Jason Kidd, only J names. I've talked to so many of the principals of this story about the franchise, where it's been, where it's going, but I've got to say, nothing has entertained me more than Scott Layden. And I suppose the entire Layden family has a high bar to clear, but Scott cleared it in probably my favorite quote of the entire series. I was asking about the finals. You know the games. You watched them all. You understand how important the last dance, Michael Jordan, the Bulls, were towards the NBA, towards everything. And as I'm asking him about this, Scotty, in a room filled with like 10 people, says... I may be the only person in this room who didn't watch The Last Dance. And that's because I lived it. And the heartbreak that you could sense and you could see in his face, in the tone of his voice, that's what this is all about. The history of the jazz is going to be told because The Last Dance miniseries might be the only way that people know this franchise. And for all the work that everybody else has done and put into making those runs, history of the Jazz doesn't start there. It goes back to 74, starting in New Orleans. A team that thought they would be the main tenants at the Superdome. You may wonder, during the season when the Jazz bring back a guy like Truck Robinson, and you say, what does he have to do with anything about this franchise? What does he have to do with anything about Ryan Smith? And I'll tell you, he might be Pete Maravich's best teammate. And maybe it's our fault for not telling Truck's story well enough, but when Truck comes to New Orleans, he gives that team a punch and a chance to go to the playoffs. They have one of their best seasons with Truck Robinson and Pete Maravich. And Truck is grabbing 20 rebounds a night. So as much as I'm looking forward to the NBA season starting, believe me, with a month left of the offseason, I'm looking forward to it. This project has me excited. It's time to tell the history of the team. Kids don't know about it. It's time to educate them. And that's what the note, History of the Jazz, will be. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Dan Patrick was there 
for the NBA Finals. He was in Salt Lake City. He was covering it for ESPN Sports Center. And I want to hear the perspective nationally on only the most famous games of professional basketball played in this country. Jazz Bulls. We'll get into Sandman, Adam Sandler, and Danny Ainge. But please enjoy DP talking the finals on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Utah Jazz? Probably what I thought was Michael Jordan's last shot. I just I go back to that day, that night, being there for Sports Center and watching history and thinking that was the last time I'd see Jordan. And I remember John Stockton was going to go into a press conference and his son was outside and he was acting up. And John was in a teaching moment with his son. So he just lost this dramatic game on your home court. And I remember John was not scolding his son, but he was kind of admonishing him. Like, that's not how we act. Because his son was really upset that the Jazz had lost. And I just remember, it, it. it's such a contrast of emotions of Jordan, the shot, history, and here's John in the moment getting ready to go on after Carl Malone, I believe. And he's telling his son that's not what, how we act. And so those are, the, those are the first two things that come to mind when you say Utah Jazz. Well, what was the access that you had to the Jazz and to John and Carl? Because I was even watching one of your post games on ESPN. It's on YouTube where you talked to Carl after that game. And, and they were willing to talk to you even after one of the most crushing defeats of their career? Well, I think I, or at least I hope I ingratiated myself to the team. And and I certainly love the city. My daughter lives in Salt Lake. And I just, I just enjoyed the people. I enjoyed how much they cared about their team. And I remember we would ask all the time if, if John would sit down for an interview. Well, John didn't even want to sit down with NBC and they were carrying the NBA Finals. So every day I'd say, uh, hey, John uh, interested in sitting down for an interview? And one day I got the answer of, yeah. I rallied the troops, got our camera crew together, sat down, did the interview, and I remember Jim Gray was like, wait a minute, why is he not sitting down with NBC? And I'm like, I don't know, I just asked him, but I think that John certainly picked his moments he was never a self-promoter, but, you know, I, I just said, if you want to, great. But if you don't, I mean, not everybody wants to do this. I think we in our mind in the media are like, everybody wants to be on TV. John, John just wanted to be on the basketball floor. He didn't, he didn't care about TV. And I admired that, but I thought if he ever wanted to talk, 
um, you know, we'd give him the platform and, uh, you know, I was able to, to get him to sit down once. Was he looking at the watch, checking how long that it was going? No, I don't remember. I don't remember him being in a hurry. I always thought that he was fidgeting. Like he, he just, it wasn't something he was natural doing. But I, I never got the feel. I thought, I got the feeling if he was sitting down, he was sitting down. He wasn't sitting down because he had to. I mean, I was with ESPN. We didn't carry the games. We didn't have the rights to them. He didn't owe me anything. But I I think probably due to Sports Center being around, knowing I had a great admiration for his game and the love of basketball, and, you know, we sat down and had a little chat. How much of a throwback was his game? Because I feel like the kids don't know about John Stockton and what he was able to do on the basketball floor. I still don't know what he was doing. I you watch certain players and you go, I don't know how they do it, because it it's it's too simple, it's too great to be that simple, and not to lump him in with another white point guard. But Steve Nash is the same way. I mean, you watch and you go, how does he get open? How does he, how does he get that shot? Like, what is it? And I, I guess there was just a curiosity of how certain players do certain things. And those were two guys because if you stand, I'm taller than John. I'm bigger than John is. I'm a lot taller than Steve Nash is. But And you watch and you go, they're playing at a Hall of Fame level. And John always struck me as he understood angles. I think great players understand the angles of the game. Rodman is as good as anybody. And that's why he was such a great, great rebounder is put yourself in the position where the majority of the misses are going to be in this area. And, and Dennis was able to do that. But guys who Reggie Miller played the angles, just cutting, always, always understanding it. How do I use the court to my advantage? And I always thought that John was brilliant at doing that. I can get to a point where I can make you have to make a decision on something. Most point guards go down the lane and they may dish off, John would stop at the top of the, you know, at the foul line, which is what you're supposed to do. Bring the defender to you. Or he backs off and you shoot the jumper. I mean, it's it's simplistic, uh, but it's lost sometimes. And there are times when I see guys and somebody boxes out and we go, oh, what a great box out. How often do you see that in the game? Nobody boxes out anymore. You can still get by by just being a smart player. You know, Jordan was so smart. Isaiah, Bird, Magic. They just, they understood, I can take advantage of these things. And John is certainly one of those guys. Uh, like Allen Iverson. You stand next to him, you're like, that guy is going in against those guys? But they did it. And that's the beauty of basketball. Sometimes we think he can jump out of the gym, or he's the fastest guy, or he's the quickest guy, or he's the best shooter. Sometimes just understanding how to play the game can help you play the game for a long time. And for as simplistic as his passes or his game was, I have never seen a more complicated rebound and toss than game four of the 97 finals when he's just throwing it ahead in transition to Carl and for Carl to have the hands to be ready for John's passes. Because he's the other thing that really stands out when you watch him is how fast he's throwing the ball. He is He's going 90 miles per hour almost on every single pass. But it's seeing the floor. And right. and we tell kids when they're first starting out, keep your head up. See the floor, keep your head up. 
but we don't always do that. And John had that ability to be able to see the floor, but not only see the floor, but what do you do with what you see on the floor? And that's the difference between a good basketball player and a Hall of Famer. Carmelone, during that finals run, had his ups and downs. And towards the end in 98, he was able to respond and win that game five for the Jazz and acquit himself well at the end. What stood out about his game and the way that they battled the Bulls? He let Dennis get to him. He did. Um, Once again, I go back to what Carl did. He did the same thing over and over and over. Just like him and John. Run the pick and roll. Nobody could stop it. So why would you stop doing it? Pick and pop. I just, I found Carl to be a machine. That it was, it was coming every night. You knew it was coming and there wasn't much you could do. And, and that's the mark of a great player. If I know what you're going to do and I still can't do anything with it, boy, that's scary. But there, there are players like that that just, you know, you know, Larry Bird famously said to Xavier McDaniel one time after a timeout, uh, he said, X, I'm going to get the ball, I'm going to fake left, I'm going to go back right, I'm going to shoot her right in your face. Bird gets the ball, fakes left, goes, you know, shoots right, wins the game. Nothing Xavier McDaniel could do. And I just found Carl was able to do what he wanted to do every single time down the floor. And that's how you end up in the Hall of Fame and one of the greatest scorers of all time. That's true. For not being trash talkers, it's kind of pretty big trash to run every single play the same across uh, sure. every single game with John, Jerry, and Carl, and for it to work every single time. And you have nothing, you have no counters to it because they can just out-execute you as a defensive team. Yeah. I mean, that's the brilliance. You can have Jordan and he can do whatever he wants on the floor or Kobe or, you know, some of these other players, LeBron. But other players in a system understand the system and they're able to take advantage of that. And, you know, Carl and John, night in and night out, and they never miss games. It was going to be the same thing. Every time I'd watch the Jazz, you'd usually get four points out of your center uh, Horny would hit it, you know, he'd have 15 or, or, you know, Russell would contribute and like, you know, you just had certain guys, you sort of knew what was going to happen. John would have 18 and uh, 13, Carl would have 27 and 13 and Jerry Sloan would have another win. I mean, that was just kind of the feeling you got every time. They weren't a great team to show highlights of, I mean, you know, it, it, right. like a nice crisp bounce pass just doesn't make it. And uh, if you did have something, it'd be Carl probably on a breakaway with the dunk. Uh, but, you know, they were methodical. They just plug them in. They were a plug-and-play team. There were no catchphrases for execution? No. Nope, I don't think so. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. That never came out, I don't think. John Stockton's in fuego. Nope, I don't think that ever happened either. But it was, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the highlight and I always tell people, if you watch a game, you'll get a better sense of how somebody is. Because you can see a highlight and go, man, that guy's unbelievable. Well, if you watch the game, he might have five highlights, but then doesn't do anything else. Whereas somebody who doesn't make the highlights might have 15 or 20 plays that are more important for his team. Absolutely. Especially now with how things are going to TikTok, YouTube, 
you know, Jordan Clarkson is a problem or, or uh, you could make a really nice highlight tape of Eddie Curry and you'd think he's the greatest player ever. But if you watch the actual game, I don't know if you'd come. Maybe away. not Eddie Curry. Maybe not Eddie Curry. Maybe not. Eddie Curry. Maybe not. I have one of his, I have a jersey of his uh, when he wore it, the Dallas Mavericks. I don't know if he even played for him, but I saw the jersey. It's the longest jersey I've ever seen. It's 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 almost like five feet long, and and it's this Eddie Curry jersey with the Mavericks. It's it's wild how how it's the longest jersey I've ever seen. For some reason, it stood out. For some reason, I wanted it for the man cave. It's one of my most basic and dumb guy takes of all time. But when I'm around NBA players, I always think they're pretty tall. These guys are are some pretty big people. And I had that uh, the other day with uh, Brooke Lopez when he came down to play the Jazz. And I said, this is not the same human. Like, we are not the same species, him him and I. He is a seven-footer, and he looks completely different. Well, when I saw Mark Eaton, Yao Ming, Manute Bull, even Shaq, but these guys weren't star players. But when you saw them, like Mark Eaton... And Yao Ming are the two biggest men I've ever seen, aside from Andre the Giant. And when Manute Bowl came out, I was there for his first game ever. He played against Patrick Ewing in preseason. I thought it was somebody on stilts. He had his warm-up pants on. I thought it was a gimmick, like somebody came out and they were, you know, wearing a uniform. And then, you know, it was Manute Bowl, and they're like, "That that guy is legit seven six. tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Michael Buffer is introducing one of the games. You had Leonardo DiCaprio backstage in that final 98 series. What was the hoopla around Salt Lake City covering those finals? Well, it it, it provided the climate for Salt Lake. You know, you, you had a great day uh, if you won and you had a bad day if you lost and, and you could feel it in the city. Probably as much as any city I've ever been in when it comes to the reaction, the mood after a win and after a loss, because it was so important. And you were facing the Bulls. And, you know, will Carl and John get their their championship? Will we get our championship? And, uh, you know, you could really you could really feel that. When they won, it was big. When they lost, man, it was as low as you can go. Did Jordan push off? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Bob Costas calls it a push from a maitre d. And I, oh, I know. I've never seen that. I've never like seen he's that. showing me to my seat. That's no, that's that's ridiculous. Bob's having fun, uh, but you know, 
to me, if I'm if I'm pushing somebody off, I got to use a little bit of my strength to push them off. And you know, Russell was off balance a little bit, moving in that direction that Mike pushed him. But yeah, Mike Mike pushed him. I he didn't even have to do that. That's the thing. If Mike wanted to get a shot, he was going to get a shot. But you know, what's lost in that is Mike's steal on Carl at the other end. Like that to me is Jordan. And, you know, making the last shot is one thing, but he's the greatest two-way player of all time. And he proved it in a span of 60 seconds. And that's what I always, and they didn't call a timeout. It's like steal. Like, you know, Phil's going, I got the guy who I want to have the ball. Why do I need to let you try to set up something? I don't need to diagram anything. But yeah, Mike hit, you know, pushing off. Absolutely. And to save that steal for that moment, because they've run that play so many times, they know exactly what's going to happen. And for Jordan at that time to clamp down on Carl, get the steal, was there inevitability in the building? What was the feeling at that point there? Well, I think there's always inevitability when Mike was in the building. Always. Right. It was, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. It's like, you know, Freddy Krueger. It's it's going to happen. Question is, who's going to pay the price? And, you know, Utah and, and Russell did. How do you remember those finals for you in your career and, and what it has meant to NBA history and just the history of, of your story as a journalist? I just remember that Mike would always say, I'm not going to talk to you after every win. I'll, ta- I'll talk to you after we win the title. That's before the series started. Because we'd always inquire, how many times does Michael want to come in after the show for Sports Center? And, you know, we were always very judicious with it. We'd be like, we don't want to push it too much. If he had something, you know, the flu game, I couldn't have him on because he just, you know, wasn't feeling it. But for the most, he came in after every title. And that one, he came in and he had a Cuban cigar. His jersey was out. His shoes were off. He had champagne all over him. He had the basketball with him. And and he walked in as if he was, he had just finished his resume. Like, it's done. And I truly thought it was done. And I remember interviewing him. And Phil Jackson was sitting to my right. He was going to be on next. And I could be playful with Mike. You know, you could push him a little bit. He's so competitive. Uh, but I wanted to be respectful to him. And I just remember when he got up and walked out that that was it. And and there was part of me that, you know, I'm rooting for a story. Mike walking away the way he did, that's an unbelievable story. But then there's another part of me that wants another chapter to the story. We got it, but it was a watered-down version. It's like, you know, Godfather 2. It's just not good. Um Still, you know, good, but not, you know, in comparison to the original. And I I just felt that when Mike got up and left, that that was it. And uh, complicated career, unbelievable career. And, uh, you know, he's the best basketball player I've ever seen. And I've seen everybody play except for Bill Russell. Uh, of, of all of the greats, I didn't get to see Bill, but I got to see Wilt, Oscar, Jerry West, Maribel, I mean, run down the list. I got to see them in person. And Mike in person 
was even better than Mike on TV. It's just, it's sort of like watching Usain Bolt run in person at the London Olympics and watching him on TV. Watching him in person, you realize how fast he is. On TV, they keep, they keep the camera on him. So it looks like, hey, he's running fast. When you're watching and you have to move, you're the camera. You're like, wow. He ran the 200 and I went, and my wife was with me. And I said, this is going to be quick, hon, about 20 seconds. And it was a little less than that. And she goes, is it over? I go, yes. And she goes, that's it? I go, yep, you just saw the fastest man in the world. So Mike was like that. It was, there was something about that, oh my God, he's in the building. Everybody knows he's in the building and everybody is nervous. Knowing that one of his golf buddies, Danny Ainge, is now running the team, how much confidence should Jazz fans have that DA knows what he's doing? Oh, I'd have a lot of confidence in Danny. I mean, he's got a great track record. And, um, you know, it's tricky. A lot of times we go, well, you know, that this franchise has all these draft picks. Well, who's drafting is what I want to know. Because you can have teams that have draft picks, but the guy drafting isn't very good. And Danny knows what he's doing and assessing talent. Um, but, you know, you got some heavy lifting. The West has got some really talented teams. And Denver's not going away anytime soon. Phoenix is still loaded. You know, the, so you're all you know, the Lakers, you're always going to have that. They're right there. And to get to that level, how long does that take? And that's, you know, that'll be the big challenge for Ainge. He'll get there. The question is, when will he get there? Would you answer the phone if you're an NBA general manager and Danny Ainge's caller ID comes up? Yeah. I wouldn't have answered the phone if Jerry West called. I wouldn't have answered the phone if Red Arbach called. Because you just know. If if they're trading him, wait, 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 wait why don't why don't you like him? That would be my you know, the reason why I'd be like, wait, what what's going on here? Hey, you guys interested in Rudy Gobert? Uh you're not? Uh, you know, well, we like him, uh, but, you know, if you need the rim protector there because Carl Anthony Towns wants to play on the perimeter, the rim protector. Um, and, and look, maybe they get something out of it. Maybe they win something. They got talent. I love Edwards. Uh, and Towns has some talent, but uh, Rudy Gobert, you know, good luck. Makes me feel bad for Minnesota, especially with your book, The Occasionally Accurate Annals of Football. The Minnesota Viking chapter was devastating. <laughs> devastating to hear. I There are certain fan bases that I've heard from, and they're like, why? Like, what do you have against this? And I go, I, we're just having fun. We were just, the book is meant to have fun. And uh, not everybody is taking it the same way, but, uh, and I think I'd, I'd like to do a book, an NBA book next, and maybe a baseball book sort of, you know, around the same theme that we have, because we give you the history of the NFL, and then we give you your favorite players of these teams. We talk about, you know, the immaculate reception and the tuck rule, what it takes to be a Minnesota Viking fan. I mean, there's so many different chapters in there, and nothing was off limits. It wasn't there was there was no bad idea. There were just better ideas, and uh, and we had a lot of fun. And I co-wrote it with uh, Joel Sims, uh, Joel Cohen, who is uh, one of the writers on The Simpsons. 
And uh, so you get sort of that sarcastic attitude and throw it in with mine. And we have some other people contributing and we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with it. And the forward by Sandman. Yeah. He has to be pretty down with uh, what's happened with the Jets as a With his Jets. Yep. And Sandler, I said, uh, Sandman, can you do the forward on the book? And he goes, Danny, what's a forward? And I said, I don't, you just write, you know, at the beginning of the book, what do you want me to write? I said, well, you're a Jets fan. All right. And then he wrote a forward where he was kind of mean to Tom Brady. And then he said, Danny, Danny, I can't write that. I can't write that. My kids, you know, they might meet Tom Brady. I can't do that. I said, all right, well, then take out Tom Brady. You don't have to. Tell us about the love of the Jets and why you fell in love with the Jets. And he's like, all right. And then he sent it to me. He goes, uh, is that good? And I go, yep. And then Will Farrell, I said, hey, would you write a blurb talking about how great the book is? He goes, do I have to read it? I go, no, no. He goes, all right, I'll do it. And uh, so Will had his little blurb there as well. I'm amazed that you weren't cast in Hustle with Sandman. I was too, but the, that's that's not necessarily Sandler. I think that's Safdie Brothers. And so they did Uncut Gems. I, I think there was more of a collaboration. Uh, Sandman's done some movies with Aniston, and uh, it's her production company. And I, I don't know if Sandler is going to use one of his hall passes to slide me in, but um, I did have a cameo in that where I played myself in Hustle. I talked about uh, some of the players. I don't even know where it is in the movie, but I have a uh, probably a 45-second clip that I'm in Hustle. But I didn't get to do the, you know, a little bit bigger go-to-the-movie set itself. But he's put me in 20, 21 movies now, so I can't sit there and be bitching and moaning about it. I was saying, Fran Frischilla, this should be Dan Patrick right here in the movie. Yeah, I don't like to play myself. That's the problem. I always That's true. And and this is years years ago. I told Sandler, I don't want to play myself. He said, All right, Danny, you're gonna be a uh police officer wearing a mustache. And then for about five or six movies he put me in as a police officer wearing a mustache. Typecast. Yeah, and then I said, All right, I'm done being a police officer. Can I be somebody else? Then uh he would put me in as a guy who ran an auto parts store. I mean, a variety of things. But I was a nightclub owner in the movie Just Go With It with Jennifer Aniston, Nicole Kidman, Dave Matthews. But he's he's always, he, if he can, he writes a part that's got a couple of laughs in it. And uh, he's very generous. Very generous. Host of the Dan Patrick Show. Listen to it on ESPN 700 here locally in Salt Lake City. Dan Patrick on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And thanks uh, from the uh, support of Salt Lake City. And uh, if you see my daughter, say hello to her. She's a wonderful woman.